Kia ora whanau. Hello, nice to see you. It's really nice to be sharing with you this morning. Um, as as uh, was mentioned before, you might uh, know me uh, more from the drums or the guitar or the electric guitar or singing, and now I'm finally speaking. So I kind of, this is my mission to collect the full set, and I'm on track, I think, to be the first person to collect the full set. So we'll see how that goes. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sam, and if you do know me, my name for you guys is also Sam as well, so there's quite a nice consistency through the way um, I use my name in the community, so for everyone it's Sam. Um, and during my week, I, I actually work for Laidlaw College, which uh, used to be called the Bible College of New Zealand, and I teach uh, a range of sort of theology and education stuff there, so that's what I do throughout the week. Um, but that's actually not how I really want to introduce myself this morning. Uh, I want to introduce myself really by saying, Hi, my name is Sam, and I'm a recovering New Age mystic. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of explain what that means in kind of an autobiographical way and sort of weave in this John 6 passage that we've just heard, um, which is quite challenging, actually. So like many of us in the room, um, I grew up in church, um, and I'm incredibly thankful for that. It gave me so much. Uh, but sort of when I got to the end of sort of my, my teens and my early 20s, and this is an experience that many of us have, you start to encounter complexities and challenges to your faith that actually youth group kind of didn't really seem to cater for. And so you're presented with these questions that for the first time you're really wrestling with on a very deep existential level. Uh, so that sort of kicked off my theological journey. But um, what was happening at the same time was that um, I encountered a couple of different uh, hurtful or harmful experiences of church leadership uh, where, you know, I was told maybe just to toe the party line, don't ask too many questions, enthusiastically uphold the culture of the church and kind of be a bit of a poster boy, despite maybe having some questions around that. Um, you know, probably being a poster boy because I look like European Jesus and can play the guitar. But that, that aside, I, I found those experiences quite harmful, actually, this, this sense of you don't ask any questions, you just get told what to believe, and um, had quite a profound experience uh, sort of effect on me and how I understood my faith, because I started to uh, grow this deep rejection, this um, contempt for authority that was being misused or abused above me. And... Um, because of this hurt, I then began to, sort of began to reject things that were quite core to my Christian belief and to Christian belief in general. The sense of, don't tell me what to believe, I'll figure it out for myself. And I imagine this is some other people's story in the room as well. And after that, so I, I start developing this deep sense of, don't tell me what to believe, it just goes into full-on deconstruction mode. So I start chucking out uh, core parts of the Christian message left right and center, because I don't like them. I feel like they're too simple or annoying or whatever. Um, I began to ask questions like, is faith simply a psychological response to the absence of meaning in a meaningless world? <laughs> a way of making me feel better about existential anxiety. Um, is God really just uh, an impersonal energy, kind of like the force? He's just all around us and in us, but he's not actually a real person. Um, I began asking the question of that if, if faith is really just a source of inspiration for us, then why believe at all? Because it really doesn't have any substance to it, right? Um, 
And at this point, faith, well, the Christian faith particularly, it became really just a language. It's really just a language of the divine. So every religion or, you know, even neurological explanation is a way of getting to the divine, but it doesn't actually hold any of the divine in itself. For instance, you know, it's like a, it's the track we, we walk through to get to the divine, but there's actually no substance in this language. So if Christianity is just one language among many, then look, if you find other languages to talk about God, then why not just go to them instead? So this is what happened to me and so many people close to me and friends and family, all that kind of stuff. And my, my spirituality, if you like, began to look quite Eastern, um, where I was beginning to sort of uh, embrace the spirituality that all particularities and identities and individualities, they were just illusions of the ego or the self. What was really true was that we are all different manifestations of the same universe, and eventually we'll all disappear into the ether. Uh, so particularities, they're all sort of illusions. So this is where my spirituality was going, because I was taking it seriously. Of, you know, If God isn't a person, then what do we know about reality? Are you still with me? Great. Then I started having to ask, answer questions about Jesus. And uh, if I believe that about God, then, then Jesus maybe was just a man who was connected to the divine, a bit like Buddha or Ram Dass or other sort of spiritual teachers. And it was unfortunate that Christianity came with a whole bunch of annoying doctrine because what we really need to uphold is the God spark in all of us, this truth that we have within us. And doctrine and theology was just kind of like this annoying stuff that academics squabbled about. Um, unnecessary theology. But more seriously, I began to play with the idea, and this I hear everywhere, that to uphold my faith as truth was actually to do violence to other people and their version of the truth as well, kind of like a spiritual imperialism, which is quite serious. Um, This idea that you respect my truth, I respect yours, and we'll just let each other have our own journeys with God because it's all a private affair. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of where I was. Uh, And this, I imagine, is familiar to a lot of you in the room. If not for your own journey, then definitely with people that are close to you. This is happening everywhere. And this is where a lot of people get off the Jesus wagon, often for good. You know, in this this world of sort of of complex world, we, we crave simplicity, we crave unity, we crave common ground in a world that seems to be breaking apart, um, and we don't need another reason for in-groups and out-groups, and it seems like it's a good idea to just kind of find a spirituality that embraces all of us. Um, and a, theo- a theology often seems to have like a real superiority complex, uh, where it seems to fill endless books, uh, I guess, squabbling about things that no one else really cares about. And there might be some truth to that. But anyway, look, that's what it can seem to us. And a lot of people are like, I just want simple faith. I want simple faith of acknowledging the God spark in everyone and getting on with meaning. And that's, that's the climate we're in. So in John 6, in this passage that we just read, this is an example of people getting off the Jesus wagon. It's actually a real watershed moment in John. Um, it's sort of halfway through the gospel where Jesus has been doing miracles and signs. And then it's kind of marked by this moment of what looks like failure, as a whole bunch of people walk off. Um, 
what people were looking for was not what Jesus was offering. Um, and Jesus starts using imagery about Moses and the bread of life and about sacrifice in his own body. And he starts to say that, look, true life, true meaning, and true saving power is found in me. Not in other places, but it's found in me, the person of me. And it's, he says this in quite a provocative way, right? And he gets a reaction. And at this point, a lot of people turn around and say, this, this is hard teaching. Who can handle it? And they're off. And actually, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. I think that if I was there, I probably would have walked off as well and thought, you know what? I thought he was the kind of guy I wanted to follow, but actually, I'm, I'm not too sure at this point. This sounds a bit, a bit weird, a bit too controversial, a bit hard. And so if this is you, at any point, in any sense, this is totally normal, you know? Upholding Christian belief, taking this seriously, that Jesus is identified with God in a serious way, and, and him as a person, that's actually hard work, and, and is pretty countercultural, and is actually very unpopular now to say something like that. So if that's you, you're in sort of good company here. <laughs> Not many people like that. It's very normal to struggle with that. And at this point, a lot of us, we think actually Jesus is too hard, and a lot of people slip into unbelief, or actually, more commonly, into this, like me, open world of spirituality, where you can still retain spirituality without maybe being told what to believe. And if this sounds familiar to you, like it's all around New Zealand, you would be right. So let's have a look at what's happening in New Zealand now. You know, 10 or uh, 15 years ago, um, a lot of you might remember that there was a, a book that got published uh, called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, a few of us in the room. And other books came out at the same time, like The End of Faith by Sam Harris or God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens. It was kind of this revolutionary moment of atheists versus people of faith, and Christians got quite wound up about this whole conversation, defensive, and it was a very science versus religion or faith versus reason kind of climate. Um, but things are really different now. We've got to understand that we've actually moved on from that. So, if we get some stats up, 54% of Kiwis are open to exploring spirituality. So although over half wouldn't identify with religion, 54% are open. And 41% of Kiwis identify as spiritual. You know, connected to this is the idea that Jesus is actually, has actually a pretty good reputation. People actually quite like him. And although uh, the church's image or uh, its reputation is a little bit problematic at some points, um, People are, are pretty open to Christians as well and are feeling positive about spirituality. Um, actually, <laughs> the stats are that uh, someone who doesn't identify with any sort of religion is just as likely as your average Anglican to pray, which I don't know whether it says bad things about us Anglicans or you know, let's not go there. The point is, the narrative of religious decline has blinded us to the reality of religious change. The narrative of religious decline has blinded us to the reality of religious change. That game has totally shifted. Us Kiwis are open. We want a faith um, that we, like a buffet, build for ourselves, though. So it's faith on my terms. It's an enhancement drug. 
it's a source of inspiration. It's not wanting to put yourself under something. It's kind of like we've been, interested, uh, we've been uh, influenced by that great thought leader and spiritual guru, Marie Kondo. And uh, we've looked at religious belief and thought, I'm going to keep some stuff that sparks joy, but if it doesn't spark joy, I'm going to get rid of it. So that can be things like, you know, does, does God have an opinion about how I live? That doesn't spark joy. I'm going I'm to get rid of that one. Uh, Jesus being identified with the person of God. Yeah, that doesn't spark joy. I'm going to get that, rid of that one too. Uh, Bible as the source of authority definitely does not spark joy. We'll be kicking that one right into touch. Um, and, and this is happening everywhere. So here's another example. Um, this is a guy called Michael Gunga um, from a band called Gunga you may have heard of. And these guys are kind of like a paradigmatic example of what's happening across the board in the West. So, Michael Gunga, part of the band Gunga, you might know him from the podcast The Liturgists uh, as well, quite popular, um, sort of began in this band um, in, in very much like a worship church environment, and the lyrics were kind of centered around, um, you know, Jesus as identified with God, and, and God is quite a personal uh, being that you can get to know. Then the lyrics kind of moved from that to a more open spirituality where we're using Christianity as a language. Uh, so it could mean kind of whatever you want it to mean. We get to be a little bit more flexible. To finally, they moved to a lyrical uh, space where they were basically just Eastern now. They were Eastern spiritualists. Uh, and so he, uh, in amongst all of that, changed his name from Michael Gunga to Vishnu Das which means uh, servant of the creator, talking about something called a flow state. Uh, and really, he got to this point where he viewed his Christian heritage as limiting and restricting, and what was really true was the divine flow and spark between all of us, and really, that was the truth. And to go deep with your faith or to grow in your faith is to leave that childish Christianity behind and enter into this deep, complex mysticism, which is exactly what I did. Quick survey of my Facebook friends <laughs> find something quite similar. So, um, this is a, an acquaintance of mine. She's not a friend, uh, which is good, so she'll probably never hear this. Um, I just want to read you this. this is, when I saw this, I actually kind of couldn't believe it, but this is the language she's using. She says... This practice feels like a secret that you wish everyone to try or experience. Last Saturday, we spent a good hour discussing all sorts of things around Buddhism, thoughts, beliefs, meditations, compassion for yourself and others, love and kindness. The rich discussions stretch your mind and understanding, expanding your awareness. Filling my life with these discussions makes it so fascinating, shaping me, molding me and my reality shaping me, molding me and my reality. These are pretty strong words. New Zealand is spiritually pretty hungry. We're pretty open to this stuff now. But you'll notice that it's all kind of under the, the banner of self-fulfillment or self-enhancement. And this is exactly where I was, toying with the idea that myself was pretty much just a construct that I get to decide whatever I wanted to be. I was free to construct something out of life and my own meaning, but suddenly I was also sort of smacked with the burden of having to decide 
what was true in life, what reality was all about, what was meaningful, what was true. It was now all on me to figure out, and I felt this existential weight quite strongly. It's kind of what um, Paul Tillich, the gym theologian, would say, it's a liberation and a loss. Because you feel this liberation, I get to do whatever I want, but this loss of now I have to figure out everything. And it's my responsibility to figure out everything as well. I was now on a treadmill that I actually didn't feel like I could get off. And this is the water we swim in today in New Zealand. And if we're not careful, this will colonize our Christian faith, that we start to understand our faith in Jesus under these terms of enhancement as well. And I know that there'll be people in this room who, like me, you've experienced, you know, trauma under leadership, hurtful experiences. You've experienced um, pain and actual true suffering under certain leadership styles that have been incredibly harmful in the past. And when I mention the word submit or submission, it's bringing up terrible pain for you because that's been used in really manipulative and terrible ways for you in the past. I understand that. I, I have felt that too. But perhaps you're also hearing that when we get given our identity and we receive it, it's actually also a call to rest and freedom in this identity that we've been given. So, back to John 6. At this point where Jesus starts saying all this whack job stuff about eat my flesh and drink my blood, and this is the only source of life that you can find, a whole bunch of followers leave. They decide this does not spark joy. It's a critical moment in John when he's making massive statements about who he is, his authority, and more importantly, that actually all of reality is centered on him, not anywhere else, which is still a massive challenge. And so the challenge for us is to agree to that we need to center ourselves around Jesus, not the other way around, just really foreign to 21st century New Zealand spirituality. I just want to say, this is really hard. You know, part of me was actually quite apprehensive in saying this because I feel like I'm being laid bare here. You know, this is, this is a struggle. This is not easy, and I kind of wish it wasn't true. I kind of wish I could just light a candle and practice awareness and do a bit of meditation and feel good about my life, but this is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying he is the source of life. You know, he's saying to come unto him. And look, we've all read a saying of Jesus or heard a sermon, and we've all heard it and thought, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can bear to hear it? Who can accept it? We've all uh, heard a doctrine or come across, you know, some of the miracles in the Bible or, you know, heard something about authority or identity or sexuality, or gender, or something about eating his body and drinking his blood, and we've thought, you know what, nah, I'm good. Buddhism seems a lot easier than this, right? Spirituality seems a lot easier than this. And look, we must critique structures and power that are, that are abusive and harmful, but, but we've been trained to trust our own inner impulse above everything else, to trust our own inner truth. But actually, this is, a, this is a dead end if it's left to itself. 
It has to be, yeah, our inner subjective truth has to line up to someone else for it to be meaningful at all. And this is the dead end that I felt. I actually, and this is what kind of turned it around for me. Um, I took my, my spirituality really, really seriously, and I began to think, you know, everything is an illusion. Um, I need to let go of my attachments. Um, kind of like this idea, if everyone's seen the, the movie Soul, the new movie, you know, there's this image of this big bright light and all the other little white lights, which are human beings, are now disappearing into the big bright light. It's this sense that at the end of everything, we will lose our personhood and just get absorbed into the ether. So your personhood, although it feels important, ultimately isn't. And that's what I kind of actually ended up, it repulsed me because I thought, man, everything that I, that I sense is important seems to be an illusion or just the, the uh, I guess, the unfortunate consequences of having a consciousness. <laughs> So it sort of framed it where the things I love and the people that I love, um, my story, my heartbreaks, my losses, my griefs, the moments of tragedy, my deep longings, none of that actually mattered in this framework. And that was, I just thought at this point, I can't sustain this type of spirituality. I need to know that my personhood is mat matters that the deepest parts of my humanity matter. You know, this is, to follow the meaningless track down, this is where all French existentialism goes. This is what Sartre would call the nausea of experiencing a world that has no meaning. We need to have someone to catch us up into something for it to be meaningful. All of life is relationally given. We need to feel the need for someone to give us meaning to feel the limits of our own ability to do that for ourselves. And perhaps, like Simon Peter, eventually come to say, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, not me. Not the pseudo-Buddhist Instagram, Lululemon-wearing influencer on Instagram. You have the words of eternal life, not me. And this is the wrestle of faith, which I struggle with, and at no point do I want to even give the impression that I'm the example of this. I'm absolutely not. Probably one of the worst offenders. I've been so convicted as I've put this together that I've, for the need to dethrone myself, <laughs> that I've been swimming in this water of, of self-enhancement spirituality. The challenge is to assume that Jesus knows better about ethics and theology and all those other things that go with it. And this is deeply uncomfortable. This idea that there's an other that knows you and loves you and wants you to be formed by his love, I guess you could say it's the payoff. You get your, your, yourself, your identity given to you. So... When we do these practices that we've been talking about for a long time now at St. Augustine's, when we do these practices of reading scripture, of meeting together, of singing, when we do the practices of loving our neighbors and enemies on the right and the left, when we invite people into our homes, when we pray, when we offer ourselves to God, when we practice communion, you know, the actual event of eating his body and drinking his blood, we are allowing ourselves to be formed under someone else, to be second. 
and many of these things fail to spark joy. <laughs> you know, singing often fails to spark joy. You often think to yourself, how many times can I repeat this chorus? You know, this is not sparking joy. Reading Leviticus can fail to spark joy. Hanging out with annoying people at church can fail to spark joy. Thank you for hanging out with me, by the way. I know that's a spiritual practice for a lot of you. Being in community with people who believe that the earth is flat can fail to spark joy. And the tedious daily practices that we give ourselves to can fail to spark joy. But it is not about following our impulses, but putting ourselves second in a world that tells us to put our own sense of inner truth first. And this is hard work. This is such hard work. When we trust in another person like this, we recognize the need that we need someone to go to, that we are actually then and only then given our true selves. We are free to get off the treadmill of self-construction. Being a follower of Jesus is, is coming to rest. It's about being loved into a fuller version of ourselves by someone who actually knows what that is. So I just want to end on a couple of questions for us to think about as we head into a few practices. If you are one of those people who, like me, um, and, and the followers in this chapter that we're reading, who jumped off the Jesus wagon, or you're kind of one leg on, one leg off, or you've actually never been on the wagon, <laughs> um, will you allow yourself to feel the limits of your ability to grasp meaning? Will you allow the possibility of allowing your identity to be given to you and not to construct it for yourself? Will you risk coming to rest even when it feels like you shouldn't give your autonomy up? And if you'd say that you're still on the wagon, where have you been taking charge? Where have you been deciding that you know better than Jesus? And I hate this question because for me there's always something. I actually really hate it. <laughs> but also, on the other side of things, where have you been pushing hard to make something of yourself? Building your own brand or trying to prove to yourself and others that you're worth loving? You already are. You already are. You are loved by someone, a person. Jesus is not a concept. So, as we come to communion today and as we, um, as we sing together, we're actually entering to practices not to try and reach this sense of inner feeling per se, although that may happen, but we're actually intentionally putting ourselves second under a person saying that actually maybe someone else knows better about reality and meaning and life, and I should orient my life around him. So as we do these practices together, as we come to draw to Jesus in communion um, in a way that we say he is the source of life and we feed on him, and as we sing, just want to be asking the question, where have I been swimming in the cultural water of I get to do whatever I want in spirituality and faith? is a way of enhancement. Where do I need to actually put Jesus first? So I'd like to invite the next people up. I'll leave it there. Thanks a lot.